Well, if you live long enough, someone is going to uh, let you down, regardless of who those people may be. They can be your family, they can be your husband, they can be your wife, your children, children, parents will let you down. Someone will make a promise, and they'll break that promise. Maybe not intentionally. Things can happen uh, outside of their control that can cause a promise to be broken. All of us have had a promise made to us, only at some point in time to have that promise uh, broken. You may have been promised a promotion at work. Ever been there? You think you're the next guy in line, the next gal in line to get that position, and somebody else gets it, right? Been there? Been promised, and that promise is broken. Some of you have had uh, experienced um, broken wedding vows. Uh, Maybe a friend told something that you shared with them in confidence, and they made a promise to you only to break that promise. People you have trusted the most in life, those same people at some point in time, again, maybe not uh, purposely, but they've let you down. And the, the point is to say, all of life, there's going to be those things that happen where we're going to be let down. Promises are going to be made and they're going to be broken. Uh, maybe you've had someone in your life who always came through. Man, they, everything they've said, they've promised it's happened. They've never let you down on a single promise. And then again, because of those circumstances out of their control, they couldn't carry out that promise. Do you remember how you felt? This person would has never let me down. And then they break this promise. And so uh, these types of things can be extremely disheartening for us. Broken promises, uh, I think, are the main reason we have so many skeptical, cynical people. Not every promise that's been broken causes you to go that way, but some people have a lot of broken promises in their life, and they become hard, right? Uh, callous and, you know, bitter. And so, and yet, when we come to Scripture, there's an overwhelming example, which is the complete opposite of what I've just talked about. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Just make yourself a note. I love this verse. It would be a good one to commit to memory, or at least to, to be able to recall it in some sense and know where it's at. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God is not like us that he would lie. There's a huge difference between us and God. Uh, it is a characteristic of us, uh, of us as human beings and our, our fallen nature to make promises and break those promises and, and fail people. It's typical of men to go back on their word. But that's not a characteristic of God. That will not happen with God. God will not lie. Listen, God will not lie because He cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. What He has promised... He will do. Again, Numbers 23. Has He said and will He not do it? I love that. God said it, which it's what? It's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. God said it. It's going to happen. Or has He spoken and will He not fulfill it? Everything that God has promised, He's going to fulfill that. God does not lie because He cannot lie. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is a guarantee. It's reassurance for us. All the Word of God is reassurance for us. 
It's reassurance for us that God keeps His promises. What you have here is a promise made by God that God is keeping that promise. God is not like the person or persons in your life who have disappointed you by breaking promises. Again, all of us are here today. Some of us more than others have been hurt by people making promises to us and breaking those promises. Or we've had people in our life who continuously let us down. They never seem to fulfill what we may think they're supposed to do in our lives. And we, we have this hard, calloused heart. And when someone says, but there's a God who will never let you down, who fulfills everything He says, who does not lie, what do we think? No, you haven't been where I've been. But the Bible tells us that God is not like man. God has spoken what He said He's going to do. He's going to do it. God is someone different from man. God is faithful. He can be trusted in all the circumstances of your life. He can be trusted in the circumstances of everyone's life. Now that doesn't mean all the circumstances are going to go your way. There's things that happen in our life that we don't understand. But God is always faithful. He never fails. If you look at your handout, you see the main idea there is that God became a man to fulfill His promise to save man. God made a promise that He was going to send a Savior to redeem sinners. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's the first place we see the gospel. No, there's, Jesus is not mentioned. The gospel is not mentioned. You don't see the word sinners and repentance. But the gospel is promised. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made a promise in time after time after time through the Old Testament. God uh, brings up His promises again. He... he he points those promises out to the prophets. And when we get to Matthew chapter 1, the promise that God has made to save us, that the Savior's coming, God fulfills that promise. So God became a man to fulfill His promise to save man. So let's, let's do a little background here so we better understand what's going on in Matthew here. In Isaiah chapter 7, don't turn there, just make yourself a note. In Isaiah chapter 7, The setting going on in Isaiah chapter 7 is that Israel, God's people, the kingdom of Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And a guy named Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. It's important to know that Ahaz is a descendant of King David. That's very important for us to understand. And in the situation in which they're in there in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz is worried because he's discovered that two kings are getting together, and they're going to come after Ahaz and the people of God. Ahaz has heard that. These two kings are getting together, and and they're coming to take over. And listen as I read Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, to give you an idea of what's going on with King Ahaz. It says, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. That's scared, right? That's hyperbole language. I don't think Ahaz was shaking like a a tree in the wind, but he was scared to the point that he was terrified and the people of God. Ahaz is worried that his kingdom is about to be destroyed. Ahaz uh, is scared. The people are scared. And so Isaiah reminds King Ahaz of God's covenant promise that he made to King David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And there in 2 Samuel Chapter 7, God promises David that he will preserve his throne forever. There will never be a time in the line of King David when they will fail to be a king sitting on the throne in David's line. Why do you think Ahaz is worried? He's a descendant of King David, and if he falls, there's no kingly line that will continue. 
There would never come a time when the line of King David would be extinct. God has made that promise, right? And if God makes a promise, what's going to happen, church? He'll fulfill that promise. In verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 7, God comes to King Ahaz. And it says, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. In other words, there's no limits to what you can ask me. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he, Isaiah, said to Ahaz, God spoke first, and then Isaiah speaks, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. There's a promise. I'm going to send you, King Ahaz. The son's going to be born. They're going to call him Emmanuel. And before that boy gets to a certain age, those two kings, their kingdoms will be gone. So what, is that, what does that tell Ahaz? I don't have to worry about them. God is reassuring Ahaz that he has nothing to fear. And that sign is that a woman, a virgin, is going to conceive and bear a son. And it's going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was with us, meaning that God is with Ahaz. He's going to protect the line of King David. If you keep reading in Isaiah, you get to chapter 8. And you'll see the son who's most immediately promised to Ahaz. And this son is a sign that God will keep his promise. This son is actually born. In that time period. And it's a sign to Ahaz that God's going to keep his promises. King Ahaz's enemies are defeated. And Ahaz does not fall to his enemies. And the line of David, what? It continues on. Now you're going, why is that important? Why is it important that the line of King David continues? It's important because God's promises hinge on the kingly line of David continuing. It affects us it's because it's through David's line that God will bless all the nations of the earth with a son, a Messiah. That Messiah, that son, will come through that line. A Messiah anointed by God to be the Savior of mankind will come through the line of David. If Ahaz is cut off, what happens? That promise is not fulfilled. That son does not come. But also the pattern of a promised son of a virgin is the sign of God's faithfulness to His promises. To bless the world through the line of King David. Then you get to Isaiah chapter 9. That idea of a promised son continues. A son who is a sign, once again, of God's faithfulness. However, the son in chapter 9 is greater than the son mentioned in chapter 8. There are two different sons here. This son will be greater than the one that was sent before. This son will be the divine Davidic king who will rule the earth forever and ever. Listen to how this son is described. Some of you will know these verses as soon as I begin to read them. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. And of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a big deal because God's plan to bless the nations of the earth 
His promise He made to Abraham back in Genesis that through you, Abraham, would come the people of God through which ultimately would come the Son of God. He made these promises to Abraham. The promise that this Son is the one which all of God's promises are going to find their fulfillment. This Son is the one that 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So, when we read Isaiah 9, if you ever read Isaiah 9 again, here's what you need to be doing the rest of the way through the Bible. You need to be looking for someone, right? You need to be looking for this Son. And then, you get to the end of the Old Testament, and it stops. Not for us. We have the Bible. It continues. But when you get to the book of Malachi, there's a period of 400 years before the book of Matthew ever comes on the scene, or the events in Matthew come on the scene. So there's 400 years in which God does not speak to His people. It's a long time, right? I wouldn't want to go four days and know that God wouldn't speaking to me or near me. Would you? 400 years. God's made all these promises. What are you thinking after 400 years? It's not going to happen. That makes what we read today here in this text extremely important. If you notice, the, uh, the book of Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And there we see the line through which God fulfills His promise in Isaiah chapter 9. That line runs through Abraham, if you're reading that. It leads to King David, which leads to verse 16, Joseph, the husband of Mary. You see what's going on? The promise made to Abraham, the promise made to King David, and now who's at the very end of that line? Joseph. Joseph is the last piece in the line through which this son, Isaiah Isaiah chapter 9, will come. This is the end of the road, if you will. So let's look at what happens in our passage. Your outline says how Jesus, the promised Son, came. Verses 18 through 20. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, when His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Here's how Jesus, God, became a man. When Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Some of you have a translation that says espoused or pledged to be married. Mary and Joseph, to put it in our terms, were engaged. Okay? Actually, they were more than engaged. And this is very important. In the first century, betrothal was far more binding than our modern engagement period. What do we normally do? Here's a ring. Will you marry me? When are we going to get married? You said a date, right? That's engagement. A betrothal was an official legal arrangement. Less than consummated, but more than an engagement. Okay? In this time period, betrothal was a formal ceremony before witnesses. So when the engagement came, when it was set up, that was done in front of witnesses, just like it would be when they would get married. A couple entered, actually a marital contract in that engagement. So binding was this betrothal, this engagement period, that it can only be broken by a legal divorce. So in that time period, if you got engaged the way we're thinking today, 
You couldn't have a fuss and say, here's the ring back. You go your way and I'll go my way. That didn't work that way. They were considered legally together. You had to go through a divorce to get the engagement broken. And so for that reason, the couple was viewed as married even though they had not come together to consummate the the relationship. The betrothal usually lasted about a year. And here's what you need to understand. What's just happened to Mary? We've read these verses. And what happened to Mary? She's what? She's going to have a baby, right? Sexual unfaithfulness during the betrothal was considered an act of adultery. Why? Because they're what? They're legally, in that time period, considered what? They're, They're married, even though they hadn't consummated Notice how the promised son came. Now the birth of Jesus took place this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. If you're reading that and that stops right there, you ought to go, boy, this is a problem. They're legally together, but they're not legally in the sense of consummating the marriage. They've not come together physically, but yet Mary's what? That causes a problem, does it not? Yeah. Mary was pregnant before they came together. She was pregnant before she and Joseph consummated the marriage physically. And I'll leave it at that. I think we're old enough, we're adults, we know what I'm talking about there. The Bible is clear here. Mary was a virgin. And yet she became pregnant before her and Joseph came together. There was no sexual contact between Mary and Joseph at all. But Mary's pregnant. And that causes a problem, right? Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It even This is even more adamant about Mary as a virgin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph for the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Twice that's been mentioned. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You hear things are familiar there, right? Verse 34 says, I like this part. I laugh. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? I'm a virgin. That'd be a good question if you were married to ask. Wait a minute. You don't understand. I'm a virgin. That's not possible. Mary questions the angel because she knows she's a virgin. Mary knows that is not possible. Just a little takeaway here. Mary's virginity was evidence of her godliness. Listen, single men and single ladies. Sexual purity is godliness. Regardless of what our culture may say. Sexual purity is godliness. You may be made fun of. People may think you're weird. 
They will think you're weird because you refrain from sex until marriage. But God's way is marriage before sex. I don't care what our culture says. They'll make fun of you. They'll say you are weird. And what's wrong with you? That'll be the first question. What's wrong with you? Our culture's got to the point now, if you're not having sexual relations with your girlfriend, there's something wrong with you. But Mary, it's a sign of her, her godliness. And if Joseph and Mary have not come together, then how is she going to bear a child? Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says she was found to be with child from the what? Holy Spirit. Verse 35 of Luke chapter 1 says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, Matthew tells the story from Joseph's standpoint. And in Luke, Luke tells the story from Mary's standpoint. That's how they're switched around. But it's clear that Matthew and Luke are describing here what? This conception is supernatural. Mary is a virgin. And why would I bring that up? Because the, the, the virgin birth of Jesus, to believe that, is extremely crucial. To deny that, I'll go ahead and say it, is heretical. Belief in the virgin birth is essential to affirm the truthfulness of the Bible. You deny the virgin birth, you, you, you deny the truthfulness of the Bible. That's because the Bible clearly teaches the virgin birth of Jesus. You can't consistently claim to believe the Bible or believe anything else the Bible says and at the same time deny the virgin birth. If somebody tells you they're a believer but they don't believe in the virgin birth, that ought to make your ears stick up. You ought to be very cautious and ask questions and ponder if they don't believe that. The main reason skeptics reject the virgin birth of Jesus is because they assume what? Naturalism. That's not natural and thus they reject miracles as being fables. They'll tell you, oh, that's just a fable that's been passed down over the years and it's just so happened to continue now and you're foolish for believing it. It's because they can't explain a supernatural God. That's why they do that. And they reject the virgin birth. And here's what I want to tell you. And here's what you can respond to people who, who say that's, uh, that's illogical. You, you can't think that way, that that supernatural, uh, a girl who's never had a sexual relationship since she becomes pregnant... If a supernatural God is the source of creation, Genesis 1-1, then miracles are not a problem. If God can speak and the world comes into existence, a virgin becoming pregnant is not a problem for God. The angel in Luke chapter verse 1, verse 37, as I read, says, For nothing will be impossible with God. The birth of Jesus was a miracle. But I go back to where we're at here, and I'm pretty sure Joseph and Mary are somewhat unsettled about this. Would that be you? If you're Joseph, if you're Mary, wouldn't you be going? There's just something, there's an anxiousness within them. Put yourself in Mary and Joseph's place. Mary has never been with a man, never had relations with a man, and she finds out she's pregnant. Would that not disturb you, ladies? Yes, it would. Joseph, as a husband, you've yet to consummate the marriage and you find out your wife is pregnant. What's the first thing you think? Where's my gun? Right? 
For him, for Joseph, there's one explanation. Mary has clearly been with someone else. She's been unfaithful. That's what he's thinking, right? Now, my question is, what would you do? Would you tell everybody? Would you take an ad out in the paper? You know, I know what we do. Y'all know what we do today, right? Facebook, yeah, boom. We're brave, right? We won't say nothing in nobody's face, but we can get on Facebook and we can let it go. Twitter. Boy, it'd be all over Facebook, right? Yeah, it would. You'd know it. But look at verse 19. Look what Joseph did. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph could go public and he could shame Mary or he could do what? Divorce her quietly. Because he's just, because he's righteous and he has compassion, he chose to do what? Do it quietly. Joseph, I think what I'm wanting to say here is he acted with mercy and compassion. He's going to marry, but he's doing it privately and quietly. Confused, no doubt, if you're Joseph and heartbroken. But he still acts how? Justly and graciously toward Mary. Now, here's what I want you to think. If Matthew's gospel stopped right here, that would be a big problem, would it not? Because Joseph is about to do what? Divorce Mary, which means Jesus will not be what? Joseph's son, which Joseph is what? In the line of King David. If Joseph doesn't take Mary, then Jesus will not be his son. And if Joseph doesn't take Jesus his son, then Jesus will not be the rightful legal heir to the throne of David. Now why would I point that out? Because that is what... The genealogy in verses 1-17 through 17 point us to, as I said earlier. Joseph is in the line of David, and if he does not take Jesus as his son, neither will Jesus be in the line of David. If Jesus is not the heir to David's throne, then the centuries-old promise of God will what? Fail. God has lied. His promises did not come true. If Jesus is not the heir to David's throne, you can dismiss the prophet Isaiah, you can take the broken promises of God, and you know what you can do with those broken promises from God? You can stack them up here with all of those other promises you've had broken in your life. Just like everything else, right? But look at verse 20. What's the first word in verse 20? But. What's that word mean? There's a contrast. There's something fixing to happen that's just the reverse of what we're thinking. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, those words are there for a reason, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How does God act to keep his promise? What's about to happen? Joseph's going to put Mary away, and it's, it's going it's to stop the promise of God. He sends an angel from heaven, and the angel has a message for Joseph. Here's the message. The child that Mary is carrying is not because she's been unfaithful, Joseph. The child is the result of God's supernatural work in her. She has not been unfaithful to you, Joseph. Stop and think about it. If the gospel ended before verse 20, what is Joseph about to do? The promise of God is going to fail. Who intervenes to make sure his promise keeps going? God does. Look at verse 21 in your handout. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
who Jesus is, excuse me. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, the child that Mary is carrying is not because she's been unfaithful. The child is a product, again, of God's supernatural work. It's God's supernatural work to send a Savior to save His people. Remember, God's made that promise all through the Old Testament. There's one coming, there's one coming. And you get to Joseph, and Joseph is about to blow up God's promise. And God intervenes. His name is to be Jesus. Jesus is a form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Which means Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means. Jesus has come to save His people from their sins. Jesus has come to save us from our rebellion against our Creator. Jesus came to save a people for Himself. Now, let's think about that. If Jesus come to save people, then what does that mean about us? We're not saved and we're lost and separated from God. So God fulfills His promise. He intercedes in history to make sure His promise keeps going. And here's how I'd tell you to apply where we're at at this point in time. How should you look at the season that we're in? The season we're to celebrate? Jesus has come to address our greatest problem. See, you and I don't need salvation from poor government, or poverty, or loneliness. Our salvation is not found in whether we have stricter gun laws or not. We don't need salvation from, you just name it. Our greatest need is salvation, salvation from the wrath of God, which is upon us because of our sin. Someone has asked me in the past, how do you explain the gospel? Just real simple. The gospel is the good news that we can be saved from God's wrath. That's what the gospel is. The good news that we can be saved from God's wrath. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God came to save us from God. God came to save us from God. God loves sinners so much that He sent His Son to become a man to substitute Himself for sinful mankind in order to die for us. Going back to what I just said about Joseph. Joseph is about to blow up this plan, right? But God made a promise, right? And God always keeps His promises and God intercedes to make sure His promise goes forward. Our greatest need is salvation. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God came to save us from Himself. Sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sin, who are enemies with a holy God, under His righteous wrath because of our sin, we need saving. And God offers salvation from His wrath for every person who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ. No other way. Jesus said that, right? There's only one way to God and it's through Him. Look at your handout, verses 22 through 23. Here's what Jesus confirms. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All this, see those two words? All this refers to the facts about the birth. All this, all we just all you've just read there. There was never a situation that put in jeopardy the coming of the Messiah. Nothing would stop God. Nothing would stop Jesus from becoming a man and dying for sinful man. Nothing was going to stop that. We saw that, right? God interceded to make sure it kept going. The birth of Jesus was a miracle. 
It was the fulfillment of the promise spoken by God through His prophet. What God said to Isaiah in chapter 7 is fulfilled in Jesus here in Matthew. I always I like this. I think, I think Matt, the words aren't there, but when I read Matthew, that first chapter, you know what I hear Matthew saying to me? Everything you've read in the Old Testament about that son, guess what? Here he is. This is him. This is the one you've been looking for. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. See, Isaiah's prophecy had a dual fulfillment. A son would be born in Ahaz's time. And that son was a sign that God was going to protect Ahaz and continue his kingly line. But that promise is also twofold. There's another son coming that will be greater than this son, which is going to be what? The continuing of the line of King David, which will continue for how long? Forever and ever and ever. When Jesus became a man... He was God with us. You know, it's one thing for a virgin to become pregnant. It's a miracle. But it's even more wonderful and amazing that God would come and dwell among us. That Jesus is literally God with us. Now you're saying, well, Jesus ain't here no more. We read the Bible and Jesus is sending back into heaven. But what did Jesus promise us? Oh, there's another promise, right? What did Jesus promise us? That when He left, what would come? He'd send another what? Comforter. Another what? Comforter. Another. Just like Him would come, the Holy Spirit. When you trust Christ, when you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes within you. You have God living in you. God with us. Verses 24 and 25. Here's the application. Believe in the promises of God. When Joseph woke from sleep, I want you to know, he did three things. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And he what? Called him Jesus. He did three things. He did what the angel said. He took Mary as his wife and he called the son Jesus. Joseph believed what? The promise of God. That's remarkable in that Joseph asked to believe something that had never happened before in the history of the world and it would never happen again. You stop and think about that. How many people had Joseph heard of becoming pregnant and never been with the man before? He's like, no, that, ain't, that don't work that way. Not only was he asked to believe it, but what did Joseph do? He acted upon it. Is that you and I? We hear a lot of what God says, but do we act upon it? Joseph did. Here's what I want to say. Do you think it might have been a little uncomfortable for Joseph to do what God called him to do? This is yes. God ever called you to do something you felt uncomfortable in doing? Ever been somewhere and someone be around you and you're a Christian, you're going, I bet they're lost. I wonder if I should tell them about Jesus. You ever do that? I do. That's a dumb question to ask. You reckon God wants me to tell them about Jesus? Well, sure He does. God's called us to do that, but do we ever act upon it? 
Joseph believed God, that Jesus was God with us. He believed that Jesus was the Savior who would save His people from their sins. If you're a Christian, you believe that, right? You believe that Jesus was God with us. God come to be a man to save us from our sin. You believe that, right? If you're saved, you believe that. But do you act upon that? If God decay, if Jesus is God with us and come to save sinners, then shouldn't we be telling that to people? And listen, Christmas is the, the easiest time in the world to be able to do that as a Christian, right? Conversation starter. You run into somebody... Merry Christmas. And they kind of look at you and you say, what are you going to be doing for Christmas? What do most people do? You know, nine out of ten will say something, right? They'll say something. And what will most of them do when they're done? Telling you what they do. What will they say to you? What do you do? Oh, the door's wide open. Joseph believed that God, Jesus was God with us. He believed that Jesus was the Savior. And here's how I want to wrap this up. Everything happened... Just as the angel instructed. Joseph took Mary as his wife. Joseph took Jesus as his son. Which meant that Jesus would be the rightful heir to the throne of David. All so that God's promise would go forward and be fulfilled. But listen, the promise doesn't end. The promise moves from a manger to a cross. And from a cross to an empty tomb. From an empty tomb to the Father's right hand in heaven, and from heaven to one day to the eastern sky where Jesus will return for His people to complete His kingdom, where He will rule over a new heaven and a new earth, to a place where we will live forever, where there will be no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no more sin, no more death, no more little girls being taken, only Emmanuel. God dwelling with His people for all eternity. That's what you and I have to celebrate this season. That's what you and I have to tell people. That's the ultimate happy ending to the story, right? And we get to share that with people. Let's pray.